1: And welcome to episode one five one of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapse horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Hi, Mitch. Hello. Now it's finally happening. We are back in Andy versus Mitch territory. Yes,
0: we are. After a kind of rocky attempt at this last week.
1: Yeah, and I gotta say, I mean, like, we came within a hair's breadth of being up against it again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the technical gremlins have been uh, giving you some problems this week.
1: Yeah, because they were on your side uh, last week. And uh, yeah, this week uh, I woke up this morning with no Wi-Fi and uh, only actually got it back about, well, in the time it took me to set myself up, watch the film and come on to do this.
0: Yeah, it sounded pretty touch and go for a while. There was talk of potentially even pushing this into tomorrow and trying to do some crazy record edit situation all in the one day.
1: That would have been a lot, I think. That would have been demanding. It would, probably would have necessitated some sort of weird lunch break recording or this kind of thing. Uh, doesn't bear thinking about, Andy.
0: No, 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 no. I just I, I, There's not enough hours in the day, Mitch. Now, you've come at me this month with a film that we've talked about a fair amount on the show by this point uh, because we talked about it as part of your general what you've been watching on a week-to-week basis thing, we've talked about it a fair bit in preparation for doing this. So like, it's kind of had an extra week's life on the podcast, if you like, because we it, it was floating about as an episode that we are going to do. But you've chosen to take us back to 2007 this month for yes. George Ratliff's Joshua, a.k.a. The Devil's Child, a misnomer if I've ever heard one.
1: Yes, yeah, it's probably the only film called The Devil's Child ever, where The Devil's Child comes out and says that he wants to be a practising Christian.
0: Yeah, that bit made me laugh quite a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can't believe that I didn't catch the irony of that in the first time around. But yes, George Ratliff's Joshua from 2007, which uh, if you want to catch up with it, you can weirdly find it on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, that's when I watched it. Yeah, good wholesome family fun. It's not uh, it's- really... No, it's not at all. Um, It's starring Sam Rockwell and Vera Farmiga
0: few other big names in here. Uh, Michael McKean from Spinal Taps in here.
1: Uh-huh. Doing some pretty good work. There's some pretty, like, there's some pretty interesting stuff going on across the board here, to be honest, I think. Yep, and there's, a, of, there's uh,
0: an actress in here who has made an appearance on the show before, but I'll point her out when we kind of get to the point in the story where she appears.
1: Oh, cool. I like it when we do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, came across this one relatively recently uh, just because I think I got Disney Plus like two, three months ago. That's right. Um, It happened on this just kind of like, you know when you're just like, when you just kind of take a punt on something and I thought that this looked kind of strange and kind of interesting. Uh, obviously, the artwork that I saw was the creepy kind of family photo one, not the Asda, Devil's Child, with him kind of like CGI'd up to look like Satan.
0: <laughs> I didn't even know that's what they'd
1: done here. Oh, you should see the nick of the alternate artwork for this. Yeah, I, I like this. I think that it's, um, it's kind of this weird mixture of uh, having, like you say, these kind of very big names in it. But also, and also being this kind of, like, having this kind of, like, quite trashy kind of Channel 5 thriller feel to it, but also dealing in kind of weirdly heavy things thematically.
0: Yeah, it does get quite heavy.
1: Yeah, I actually kind of forgot how heavy it gets towards the end, so uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there in terms of uh, yucking it up. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about
0: uh, some of the laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, I might just have to straight face it when and just say, oh, this bit's not funny every now and again. But uh, first watch for you tonight? absolutely yeah yeah
0: obviously I, i've heard you talking about it there was a couple of times since we talked about it where i kind of hovered over it on disney plus so yeah
1: 30 seconds on the clock how are you feeling uh i think that this should probably be okay
0: yeah I, i've got a feeling this will be relatively simple
1: watch this this will be the one that i absolutely balls up after talking about a game like that but yeah i'm good to go okay three
0: two one go
1: So Joshua tells the story of Brad and Abby Cairn, um, a family of a couple live in New York with their kid, Joshua. They have a new child, Lily. Joshua is a child prodigy, virtuoso piano player, superior uh, intellect and all around creepy bastard. He does not like the fact that there is a new child and he sets about kind of setting his family against each other, pitting them against each other in increasingly creepy ways.
0: Fine. Yeah, yeah. Five seconds left.
1: Cool. I mean, I could have touched on the religious conflict. Uh, And all sorts of other things. Uh, But yeah, we can get get into that as we go. Um, So uh, this opens on um, a kids, I guess, soccer game yes yeah, it is soccer to our american
0: listeners uh, not your football our football there's one of those soccer dads in here that really makes me laugh i hope to never be one of these guys who like mm-hmm. pushes his kid to do something that they're not 100% happy with and then goes down and makes a spectacle of himself like shouting and kicking you know like you know like that episode of south park with andy marsh where he where he fights when he's drunk <laughs> like he fights at sports games
1: uh uh-huh. yeah 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 in my extremely short lived career as a primary school football player uh for central school there was a parent of a kid uh in my team who was given a 2 month touchline ban
0: wow okay right banished from, to the
1: stands banished to the stands so she was uh for being uh, overly uh, animated and like uh Basically, kind of partaking in all manner of the referees of wanker stuff, like.
0: Bro, you've never got your fucking guide dog! Uh,
1: yes, really, like, like, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. yes, it's, uh, it's out sort of order, really. It,
0: it, it, it can't make for a comfortable experience for
1: your child either. Or any of the children.
0: No, They're out there, they're calling other kids assholes, and they're like. <laughs> do you
1: know what I mean? Like, it's a fucking child. Like,
0: just leave it alone and shut up.
1: Yep, that's pretty much the height of that, I would say. However, um, immediately after the game, Brad has to shoot off. Joshua very reluctant to go with him, and we soon know why. Abby has had a baby.
0: Lily, and we follow her baby examination over the opening credits.
1: We sure do. And then we uh, very abruptly hop 19 days into the future. Now they do a lot of this, like
0: and it's kinda of arbitrary figures that they, they kinda of pluck out. Like it's like nineteen, thirty
1: one, seventy two. I kinda of feel like it's like roughly two week to three week intervals kind of every time. But yeah, maybe one of the reasons why I like this film so much is uh is because of the chronology hops and how many there are.
0: Before that, nineteen days later, card comes up though we get already get yeah, a fair amount of Joshua looking like a right creepy little fucker.
1: Yeah, yeah, he does. He, he does a he does a whole load of lurking and hovering in this yeah, film, doesn't he?
0: He's peering through keyholes, cracks in doors, under doors, just standing in doorways. If you're watching it as the Devil's Child, you would be forgiven in these first five minutes for thinking, indeed, that this child may be Satan because he gives off evil vibes.
1: Yeah, but you're right. It's like like if ever there is a doorway, he will stand near it or in it in a menacing sort of way. I think that a better alternative title and a more, a more accurate alternative title than The Devil's Child would have simply been Doorway Boy.
0: Lurking Boy.
1: <laughs> right, so 19 days into the future and we uh, see a classic family scene in the Cairn family living room with what we understand to be uh, Brad's parents
0: yeah yeah i didn't catch his dad's name his mum's hazel she's got a bigger part to play we also yeah. hear meet abby's brother ned
1: yeah now um, i also didn't catch brad's uh, father's name not that it matters at all because this is the first and last time that we'll see uh, him
0: no 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 but no, she see him later as a mourning grieving widower
1: oh yeah sorry of course you do um but yeah he he is he's gone for 95 percent of the film but as hazel uh, becomes obviously a far more significant force in this film but we True. meet uh yeah so brad's parents the family dog buster and like you say joshua's uncle ned um we also realize at this point that the piano music the plaintiff piano music in the scene is being played by joshua now this kind of sells weird right out of the gate because he's playing something pleasant to begin with mm-hmm. and then he starts playing something else and hazel's like oh Oh, sorry, Abby, should I say, is like, um, oh, this is what he's playing for the piano recital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is not, like, that kid that plays chopsticks for, like, a round of applause off his grind. He's playing really weird, discordant stuff.
0: Yeah, he sounds like he's doing the score for a kind of 1930s Czechoslovakian cartoon. (laughs)
1: Worker and in Parasite. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, everything about this, uh, this scene is... Because it, it opens and you kind of think that it's going it's to set up to be this nice thing. But this is very, very stressful to look at and observe. I think that this film does a pretty good job of... In terms of selling you on the claustrophobia and the tension and the stress in the home, it does quite a good job of like putting you in the room with the characters.
0: Yeah, and I think you get enough of the parents' backstory and the kind of parents' lives to know that it doesn't take much at all for this kind of family dynamic, which is already kind of teetering on a knife edge to just completely collapse.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. Um, but I think that, like, and there's a lot of scenes in this film where everything in it is designed to give you a headache yeah um and this is the first one of those like i mean like from the kind of nagging that you hear hazel and uh, her husband giving them joshua of obviously want an attention in this weird piano music he's playing he starts to play it like harder and more insistently you've got this like the sound of the diy through the ceiling mm. and it's just kind of like you can you can see and i think it, like it's a similar intention at this point but in terms of the stuff that it's throwing at the wall to make you uncomfortable it's really going for the here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then jo- I think it's uh, I think this is kind of designed within the film to make us question whether there's something more, perhaps supernatural, going on with Joshua. But the, the, he obviously gets up and kind of spews all over the house here. And I think as the film progresses, it becomes quite clear that that's probably done for attention more than like you know you know in The Exorcist when uh, Regan comes down at the party and she pees all over the
1: floor. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it feels like it's in there to kind of make us question that. Particularly if you're watching it as the Devil's Child.
1: That's just exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's like if you're other and there's a couple of there's a couple of moments like that really where like um if you are watching it with the title The Devil's Child, there does seem to be things that would set you off down a very wrong road Mm. about how this is gonna play out. I also want to talk briefly here about Ned, um Abby's brother, Joshua's uncle, who is a really awful character in a more understated way than i feel like hazel is or anybody like that because all he ever does is drink martinis and miss the point because at this point abby has just been like can we have a bit of quiet please uh we're trying to get libby down and then ned's like how about we all sing her a going to sleep song and then everybody like sits around the piano and belts out twinkle twinkle little star
0: yeah it's uh, he's he's an asshole like there's a bit later (laughs) when like Abby's in the middle of this huge breakdown and like you said he's literally just sitting in the chair next to her with his legs crossed quaffing a martini
1: yeah uh-huh. yeah he, he he um he blunders from scene to scene just uh completely not being able to read subtext not being able to read basic social cues
0: no 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 hate him
1: yeah same uh next up Joshua confides in Brad that he thinks that Brad thinks he's weird if he did honestly fair dues but Brad is quick to deflect this
0: it wouldn't be... I mean, the dad's not, obviously, at this, certainly at this point in the film, he's not going to turn around to his child and say, yeah, you're a creepy fucking weirdo. <laughs> but the writing's on the wall, man. Like, he's constantly framed in doorways as if he's a fucking painting of a weird little banker because he's always got that little shirt and tie on.
1: Yeah, uh-huh, that's very true. I also think it's funny just that, like, next up, obviously we see that Joshua is prodigious in many ways, not just a piano. We sure. see enough of him at school that he's like, smashing it in there and then we also see brad at work doing business for business incorporated
0: yeah he seems to work in some kind of uh investment banking or some kind of fund manager or something like that
1: yeah we know this because one of the genetic business lines he's given to say is 10 million is the amount for this particular fund yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> there you go this guy knows his stuff <laughs>
0: he does yeah and has my his uh boss i presume uh is chester played yes. by the always wonderful Michael McKean, who I think has a bit of a bewildered look in this, as if to say, I
1: don't really have much to do. Yeah, I think even from the beginning, like right like from like the very first shot that you see of uh, Brad and his work, when he's on uh, the phone in his office with his feet on the desk, being a hotshot and playing the big man, and Chester kind of looks in and kind of like gives him a knowing nod and like the wink in the gun. That's the only time in this film that Chester isn't observing everyone and everything around him with a look of complete bafflement.
0: Yeah, and also... Another character who's painted just to be an arsehole because it becomes quite clear that Chester's only real interest is the kind of bloodless pursuit of money. Uh, That kind of takes precedent over everything else in his life, his family, his own children, any perceived friendship he may have with Brad or anything like that.
1: Agree, yeah. Um, It's soon, but it, like, it's soon, like... But I actually quite like the way it's done, though. Because to begin with, it seems like he's this kind of, like, quite positive guy, quite upbeat kind of thing. The minute that anything that is going on outside of work threatens to impact the functioning of that business, he turns into this absolute ogre. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, I guess part of that is probably to do with the fact that Brad has a whole load of shit going on at home, so his mind's probably not 100% on the job at hand, but there's an incredible lack of empathy coming from
1: Chester. Yes, 100%. You wouldn't get away with that now.
0: No, no, no. no. Well, you might. You might and uh, uh, the, the high-flying boardrooms of New York. I, I don't really know.
1: So so this is very outside my wheelhouse and my pay grade, I would say. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the montage that we get here mostly exists to show that Joshua is bookish, which we already know, and that Brad is a hotshot business guy who's terrible at squash. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Squash to me, and apologies to anyone out there who plays it, but Squash to me has always been kind of a sport of assholes. Anyone I've ever met who plays it is an asshole.
1: Okay, uh, how big's your sample size here? Uh, Granted, quite small.
0: Okay, (laughs) in 100% of cases. (laughs) I will accept that it is quite small.
1: (laughs) You know, like, three out of three is still 100%, Andy. Yeah. Uh, Joshua then proceeds to put a
0: dampener on dinner with his chat about death and dead bodies.
1: Yep, has someone died in this apartment? Um again, like when he's like, Oh, I feel like someone died here would put you down a like devil's child road.
0: But then there's also a moment like right after this where he's kinda asking Brad and Abby what he was like as a baby, and they have this weird kinda cagey moment about him as a baby, like where they kinda stand up and they're like awkwardly drinking their wine, like <laughs> And I was like, So wait, is he like is he like adopted? Is there something else going on here where perhaps he's not their child but that doesn't seem to be the case at all
1: no because that's never explored in any depth whatsoever um for the rest of the film which is a shame actually now you raise it because i think learning a little bit more about what he was like earlier in life might have been kind of interesting it might have been an interesting angle because my Um, question
0: on that was answered the minute that joshua starts to kind of watch videos back of himself as a baby when he's like eight months old so i was like all
1: right okay he's probably their baby now, what I think is weird is that, um, so the next thing you see is him, like you say, him watching some kind of home movies from yeah. when he was a kid. Um, I don't understand why they would have held on to these.
0: Why not? Like, people because like to have memories, Mitch.
1: Yeah, but I mean, these specifically, like um, where it's like Abby throwing stuff at Brad and like calling him an arsehole and telling him to fuck off when he's trying to film her. I don't understand why that one kind of like, could you imagine the label? Mm on that you know when you see the big stack of (laughs) videotapes
0: you've got like uh, our wedding day you've got joshua's first birthday we've got abby's postpartum depression tapes
1: pretty much that right that's exactly what i wrote down i was like it's like it just seems like he's like whimsically ignoring that and she's right rightfully telling him to fuck off it's like that's a weird thing to keep i
0: think the point of it is that it serves the narrative that she has historically suffered from postpartum depression so It serves the narrative when she starts to kind of unravel as we proceed through this. Yes, this is not her first rodeo feeling like this after the birth of a child.
1: Yes, absolutely. It is. It is. It's planting that seed for sure. Now, next up is Joshua's piano recital at his school. Now, these other parents seem really horrendously waspy, and I think that a fun symptom of uh, like, or I guess, kind of like um something that I didn't expect. I guess was one of the ways that we see abby like air quotes deteriorating here is that she just kind of obviously loses her inhibitions about having filters about the things in her life that she doesn't like sure because yeah. the minute that they said because the, she kind of gets she snaps a little bit at the other parents when she sits down with brad she's like i hate these people and with good reason that first kid looks like one of the children of the corn
0: uh yeah waspish parents one of those waspish parents red hair kind of plummy accent is Havilan Morris, who played Marla Bloodstone in Gremlins Two?
1: Wow, good spot, love yeah, it. There you go. Great stuff, great stuff. But yeah, uh, it's 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 um uh it's a talent show, obviously. Um, like I say, the first kid—I forget what the kid was actually doing, but uh,
0: uh I think I've got it down. Uh, I think is the first kid not like? I oh, know I don't. I I feel like the first kid's like playing a trumpet or a trombone or something like that, like. I yep. feel like I don't feel like this is a talent show. It doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like a like a recital, like more like a, a, a like a showcase than anything. Yeah,
1: else. yeah, like a, like an evening of music, as it were. Yeah, but
0: I um, would wager that this is not music. And uh, having seen some of these things in my time, can think of no worse way to spend my time.
1: Also, like, like the, the kids, the kids that are singing and performing are singularly really creepy. Like, um, the kid that's singing Ave Maria is wearing like a suit that is so much bigger than him that he looks like the guy with a tiny head from Mulholland Drive. Brilliant.
0: I actually think really anytime <laughs> you see a child in a suit, it's quite unsettling. Like, I mean, <laughs> in this film, Joshua does have more than a kind of swipe of Brahms around them
1: oh that's great yeah absolutely for the boy yeah 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 um but Joshua takes to the stage um and starts playing tw- uh, twinkle twinkle little star and uh starts kind of dropping in these discordant notes and stuff I think that like this as an idea is quite cool absolutely no problem and and it is actively quite creepy when it turns into like this horrible discordant piece that he starts playing instead and the transition to it is really really good and really convincing i think what i do think is funny though is when the parents start to twig that something isn't quite right there's like this ripple of disdain through the audience that's presumably all the other parents going oh he's pish Hmm, yes 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 i agree he's pish
0: (laughs) i think that slight ripple of discomfort and oh my god that child's pish would have permeated that room since that evening began (laughs) I thought the best will in the world, right? If your child's shite at something, you know your child is shite at it, right? If you, you have to sit at home and listen to your fucking child popping away on a saxophone terribly, right? When it comes to getting up on that stage to play the saxophone in front of a room of 400 people, that child isn't miraculously going to be incredible on the saxophone. You know, and the your heart of hearts, you don't want it to be so, but you know that your child fucking sucks at the saxophone and you're going to have to right. suck it up and smile through it.
1: Yep, yep. At this point, shout out to Sheila and Mick Bain who had, had to hear me play guitar so dreadfully for so many years when I lived in their house.
0: Oh, also, huge shout outs to Big Audrey as well for, uh, for putting up the similar for me.
1: Um, I think that the discomfort in this room is so palpable that you almost feel everyone breathing a sigh of relief when instead of carrying on playing the piano Joshua just faints. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we can deal with this. <laughs> yeah, phew. Um, the, the generation of the atmosphere in the home is continuing though Lily's crying round the clock Abby's getting kind of really territorial very aggressive towards uh, Brad Joshua not helping proceedings whatsoever by skulking around the house jump-scaring his parents like the little fucking oddball that he is
0: yeah this baby's been crying apparently for five days straight that triggered something incredibly primal and stressful in me um as a relatively new parent uh, I, was, I, yeah, I was yeah I was I was I, had, I was kind I had of a a what time
1: i was kind of curious to uh to hear your perspective on this kind of for that reason because yeah we chronology hop forward uh to day 31 of lily's young life and we do realize that are we here that she's been crying relentlessly since day 26. so you fuck that man <laughs> um it's interesting that only a couple of years after this vera farmiga because i can't remember if we touched on this but vera farmiga and sam rockwell are the parents in this yes, they yeah. are uh they are brad and abby um But yeah, it's weird that uh, only a couple of years later, Vera Farmiga would once again play a downtrodden mother gaslit by her child in Orphan.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I also think it's funny that like because Joshua's kind of like creepiness and arseholery has to be a little bit covert when he's in the presence of his parents. uh, The film establishes it by just every now and again just showing... An extraneous shot of him doing something weird. Like yeah. here, when we see him uh, startling some ducks with a remote-controlled boat, you're just like, oh, you eat dick. And it's just enough for you to just move on to the next thing, but just the seed of our solidity has been planted.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then, uh, this is, is this when Brad returns home listening to Gomez? And like he uh, stumbles into an absolute fucking shit show at his house. Like Literally, the baby's covered in shit. Abby's bawling her fucking eyes out. Like, he's just bopping around oblivious.
1: Yes. Um. This, like, him kind of, like, coming in with his headphones in and listening to that song and going straight into this chaos scene was jarring to me because I... let's See that song? See See the World by yeah. Gomez? I absolutely love that song. Like, I love it. Yeah. So, like, the... Uh, I think that the sharp right turn out of the tranquility of that into the sheer chaos of this was... I was just like, oh, uh, uh, no, no. Yeah,
0: that's one of the, t- the the most horrifying things about having a child. As that kind of whirlwind of madness that you tend to get caught up in, like the, the like your baby will shit its pants, and then something else will happen. The door will go, your phone will go, like and and you will wind up in this mad fucking like maelstrom of feces, milk, sick, and it's it is it's it's wholly stressful. So for him to come bopping and clicking his fingers, you can see why she gets fucked off at him.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. By the um, way, can I just say, I,
0: I think that the two central performances from Vera Farmiga and Sam Rockwell in this are pretty great.
1: Yeah, I think that... Um, actually, I don't know if this film would work almost at all in the hands of lesser actors for those two roles because I think that, like, they both... I think they're, they're really, really sturdy in a film that really counts on that.
0: Yeah, and I think Jacob Cogan as Joshua's pretty good as well. He does okay at what he's kind of tasked with doing. He has that creepy kid thing down. I wish he wouldn't say daddy and mummy so much, though. I find that unsettling past a certain
1: age. Yeah, I also think that like he's far more convincing as a creepy kid than when he's trying to be an innocent kid.
0: Yeah, when he's trying to be an innocent kid, it's transparently a creepy kid pretending not to be.
1: I agree, definitely. Um speaking of him being a creepy kid uh he is turfing out all of his toys for a fresh start
0: yeah i thought that was hilarious when he's like i'm starting over i was like wait, <laughs> wait like, what? Um,
1: th- this i think is this i think is legitimately hilarious like um uh so actually first off quite creepily uh in the first kind of inkling of jo- of uh, joshua kind of pitting his parents against each other he kind of hints to brad that he's better at getting lily to fall asleep than abby is and stuff i was like see what you're doing there yeah um, but yeah, he then lobotomizes his stuffed panda because uh, he, he just kind of reels off all this facts about lobotomizing.
0: Uh, it's mummification.
1: Mummification and embalming, sorry. Yeah. Yes, um. Uh, yeah, when it said going in through the, nu- the uh, going in through the nose, I think that pushed the abort me button for me. But um, I think it's funny when he starts like chanting stuff and says that he's doing it because it's guaranteeing him a glorious afterlife.
0: <laughs> yeah, poor Pandy, he he uh, he suffers badly. I thought it was really funny here. There was a moment where, uh, like the first time I saw Joshua, I thought, "Look at this little fucking guy in his little fucking suit with his mad Playmobil hairdo." And then, <laughs> and then his dad like comments on how preposterous his hair is, and like ruffles his like hair that just does not budge.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that like so we see the first uh the first signs of uh the stress ca- uh, following Brad into the workplace.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I like the fact that um the shot of Chester walking past and looking in on him. Is almost identical to the one that we saw at the start when he was like being a hot shot.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: But this time it's obviously he looks a little bit more harassed. And um, yeah, Chester kind of already showing a like kind of almost immediate switch actually because he's like, "Oh, I need to duck out early," and he's like, "Get the nanny to go."
0: Yeah, see, that's that. That's the thing about Chester.
1: Yeah, a little bit kind of a, a little bit one dimensionally uh, kind of like cutthroat about it at mm-hmm. the minute that he is inconvenienced even remotely. <laughs> Ned expresses some concern for Abby at this point. I think this might be um uh the point that you were talking about when she's kinda of talking about her problems. And he's just saying a bunch of oblivious things and drinking his martini.
0: Yeah, she's literally rolling around wailing, crying, pumping milk out of her tits. And uh, he's just sitting swigging a martini as if he's in the club.
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty hateful. Also, like at this point it did occur to me. I do think that Vera Farmiga is great in this. But Mm -hmm. I do wish that the film had given her a little more to do than just kind of be, air quotes, fragile.
0: Yeah, because from this point on, really, she does become a bit one-dimensionally kind of glassy-eyed and vacant.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that that's a fair assessment. And like I say, I think that she she does her best with that, but there is no denying that, like, the actual kind of, like, yeah, the, the actual dimensions of the character become a bit flat.
0: Well, I mean, she really come a certain point in this film probably around the hour mark and a film by the way mitch i don't think i didn't notice that you got me to watch a film that was an hour and 46 minutes long yeah um, we'll come to that i almost fell off my chair when i saw that i was surprised
1: <laughs> yep yep i also think it's funny at this point that he like just walks past the door like joshua walks past the door of this conversation with a big box full of toys and he's like i'm gonna go drop these off at goodwill and uh, i was like yeah all right and Ned's, and Ned's, just,
0: Ned's like, do you just let your nine-year-old son roam freely around New York City like he's fucking Kevin McAllister?
1: Yeah, and, she, and she's like, oh, he's not your typical nine-year-old, and Ned's like, oh, I guess not, and they both have a good laugh about it. But it's like, the fact that this kid is a virtuoso piano player and of above-average intelligence will not help him ward off kidnappers and attackers.
0: No, he's and plus he's out there doing absolutely monstrous things out of your eyeline. Get, get a fucking grip
1: yeah hinted at here when uh brad goes to a parent teacher meeting which exists solely uh to introduce the possibility that joshua killed all the animals in the classroom
0: yeah the animals are all dead from mysterious circumstances um and the teacher advises brad that she thinks that joshua should skip a grade or two because that's how smart he is Uh uh
1: uh-huh see if if i was a teacher and it was like oh like three hamsters have died Uh, we think it's a coincidence, I would be eyeing the kid in the suit in the front row being like, no, it's not. Yeah, Yeah.
0: briefcase wanker in the front row.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Chronology Hop, 47 days at this point, we join Abby in the middle of the night where she is once again jump-scared by Joshua. Uh, She has started referring to herself in the third person at this point. Mm, This bit's weird. Super weird, because then she was like, remember that thing that you said twenty eight days ago or whatever it was about the house being haunted. I think that you're absolutely right. And then she steps on the glass that she's just smashed. And then starts talking about all the kind of like sexy footwear she used to wear in her younger days.
0: Well, she's smearing blood up her leg. She's making boots out of blood and she's talking about which used to have these really super sexy boots.
1: It's really weird this. Really weird. Really weird. I I I think like I think like this is one of those things where I looked at it and I was like, This is quite creepy in the moment, but I don't know if it makes any sense
0: okay i get that mm-hmm.
1: like you know it's like, it's like it's like oh this is like this is a creepy idea and you're watching a creepy idea play out on screen but i remember thinking hmm to what end
0: yeah. apart
1: from apart from kind of like just existing to creep out
0: if, if that's why i mean i don't have a problem with that and if that's why this is in there then it,
1: it works it's weird yeah absolutely um more kind of just, I guess that I think that the kind of midsection of this is you see a lot of just kind of escalation, a lot of the of a lot of the competing strands that kind of amount to the of the various climactic elements of this. Like for instance, I think that it's harsh or it feels really harsh on Brad when Chester comes in and asks him how he's doing, and Brad thinks it's a legitimate question about his welfare, and he starts answering it that way, and Chester's like, no, no, no. Makes it clear that he doesn't give a fuck. The thing that he's worried about is, of course, the fact that Genetic Business Incorporated are hemorrhaging money.
0: Yep, and he lays the blame for that. kind of solely at the feet of Brad, which I don't think is entirely his fault.
1: I think that it would, it's very hard to believe that it would be, um, like, the result of one man's incompetence over a period of a month, but here yeah, we are. That,
0: that seems to be a lot of kind of pressure to levy on one employee
1: yeah uh-huh um he is also summoned home from getting thrashed at squash again uh just shortly after this because uh buster the dog has died now i want to say before we get into this that you know how i am generally like that dog's a goner early on mm-hmm. i didn't mm-hmm. do that here no 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 you didn't
0: see this one coming no i didn't did you no not really but yeah i guess uh the writing's on the wall for everyone in this house really
1: uh, yes, as we'll come to learn. Very true. Um I think that when he like slumps down beside the dog and starts getting really emotional, then Joshua sits down beside him and starts mimicking everything he does to the word and gesture. Mm-hmm. Again, like really creepy in a way that I can't really quantify. I remember just being like that's and um, that's an odd thing that's happened. Yeah. And I like that it's in there, but it's just it's such a strange choice. I like that it's in
0: there because it's a kind of interesting setup for what happens later at the kind of play park.
1: Yeah. Uh Aha! Great call, yes.
0: Yeah, which is um, far more annoying. Like, what happens at that play park is one of the most annoying things anyone can do to anyone.
1: Oh my god, honestly. (laughs) Um, However, that's a couple of chronology hops away at the moment. However, we do have another one here. 59 days this time. Now, Abby is getting increasingly paranoid about the noises from above.
0: Yeah, there seems to be some... Work being done and the the constant kind of sound of this work being done, whether it's there or not, um, she perceives it to be there constantly by this point, and it's driving her even further kind of over the edge.
1: But she is trying to get back on an even footing here, like you know, like you see her kind of like trying to show a little bit more kind of like uh compassion towards Brad. They even like they even have sex here and things like that, which she get the impression has been off the table for a while.
0: Well, she says quite clearly earlier that she's not really interested. She's not in the mood
1: that's right that's right that's in the in the kind of in the last section i guess
0: yeah when he keeps kissing her ass. yeah
1: weird so this kind of like this kind of like relative kind of like peaceful domesticity is shattered almost immediately um because we learn that abby is jewish although like not particularly practicing we don't think but she's jewish and hazel is an evangelical christian which we did know Um, But Joshua kind of pours gas on the fire of this kind of escalating tension between Abby and Hazel by saying that he wants to become a born-again Christian after Hazel has taken him to a prayer meeting. Now, Mm. everything about the way that Hazel acts here I think is incredibly arrogant.
0: I don't want to start swiping at religion, right, but this is a thing that's always bo- that bothers me particularly about religion is when people try to foist it upon you and, sh- and shove it down your throat. I've got no interest in that. I've got no interest in religion so I'd rather not have it forced down my throat. So I'm yeah. entirely on the side of Mr. and Mrs. Cairn here because I think that Hazel is bang out of order. Absolutely fine for Joshua to say that. He, like I think they're right. It's fine for Joshua to say that he wants to convert, he's been touched by the spirit he wants to be born again but I think for Hazel to push so hard to give agency to a nine-year-old boy in matters theological and religious, <laughs> yeah. I don't think is right.
1: No, uh, I agree. I think that it's like, really opportunistic and horrible. So uh, when Abby cracks up and calls it a medieval scold, I agree. Yeah, and then
0: she's rightly slung out in her ass.
1: Yeah, um, this escalates very quickly. But again, I think that like, this film does a lot of its best work when it is doing these kind of like these escalating tension moments because you feel like it gets there pretty organically and when it happens it's really uncomfortable and really horrible. I also like I feel like I read a tweet like um just right before we came on to do this um that Kinnell had put up. He was watching it tonight and he was like this film is absolutely determined to have some unpleasant sound or other happening all the time.
0: Yeah, even the score it's just like Kind of screeching little jolts of string, and like yeah. plinky plonky piano the whole time. Like there isn't, there's not really a moment of silence
1: at all. No, and very little in the way of moments of just general peace. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, it's actually um, quite high. I would say that that's fair. I think I think that that is possibly like I I think that that whether it's what it's setting out to do or not, I think that that is a contributor. To the kind of vaguely trashy vibe that I was talking about, I think that the fact that this film never stops for breath and is so kind of like brazenly melodramatic so much of the time, yeah. I think that the convergence of those elements does give it this kind of like daytime TV thriller feel when sure. it's not yeah. like you know like when it's when it's in those moments.
0: I mean, it's not at um, like the level of hysteria or something like possession.
1: No, 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 no. But
0: um, I feel like it has that. It has a relative wealth of hysteria bubbling under the surface.
1: Aye. Definitely agree. Yeah. Um. More weird, generic Joshua creepiness here as he offers a homeless guy five dollars to let him throw a rock at him.
0: Mm, bum fights. Remember that?
1: Yeah. Remember it well. Yeah, horrible. Yeah, that's right.
0: Horrible. These are people.
1: Yep. Horrendous. Like actually, like I think that like that's actually potentially like the worst isolated. You know, like non-family weirdness that you see a Joshua. I was just like, oh, you little arsehole.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably. And I'm. And do you know what? I'm glad they didn't dwell on it or show it. But um. Yeah. I. Uh, I found that particularly horrible.
1: It's comfort. It's uh, like it's. I think it's to its credit that it like it manages to like, sh- like to plant that seed and make you think that's dreadful. And it's also doesn't lean into being as exploitative as to actually show you it happening. See at this point,
0: because mm-hmm.
1: obviously we need to get to this point where Abby is alone in the house with uh, Joshua and Lily. So we've got Brad pulling a late one at work. i um, trying to recover from a bad month of business by. Spearheading a brave new month of business.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm gonna um, work late and rate right this ship.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he's kind of he's 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 pulling a late shift with a couple of his other with a couple of his his kind of cronies, and Abby's brother takes Brad's mum out on the town. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was, I was like, oh, it's nice that they're that close, but that is a strange combination.
0: Why? Why take someone out when there's perfectly good martinis in that house?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, but this would be like the equivalent of like your brother taking your mother-in-law out in the town, that, just a pair of them. That would
0: be weird if you know my brother, that would be weird.
1: I just that, yeah, I just kind of wanted to like let that percolate, let you have think about that.
0: Mm, that is weird, uh, that
1: is weird. By the way, perhaps
0: uh, he has like a thermos flask just filled with pre-mixed martini, maybe he just takes it
1: with him. Maybe, yeah, quite possibly. Which I think
0: also makes him an alcoholic.
1: Well, I mean, like, like, we see nothing about Ned to dispel that theory. To be fair, I had an incredibly sinking feeling when Joshua suggested playing hide and seek with Abby. Uh, very much this horrible, cynical way of tapping into her insecurity as a parent. I think. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Let's play. An inc- let's play a game of hide and seek with my incredibly fragile mother.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is awful, this is horrible. Um, and the entire sequence takes about eight minutes. Um, I think that a lot of the runtime in this film, that and it's I don't know, it's hard to make the argument that it's padding, but this film lose must lose at least a few minutes to long, unbroken shots of parents pacing around in very large, empty rooms. Because the way that it kind of uh, gets the claustrophobia thing right is by stuffing those rooms with furniture and people, and I guess conflict and noise, but like when you see it in these kind of moments where she's walking around an empty living room and stuff it is it's quite it's quite big it's quite roomy um but she goes to try and find uh joshua after counting to 50 he has taken lily and gone hiding in the empty flat upstairs which i think is also interesting actually is it empty because it's being worked on or is it empty because there's nobody there and the noise is in her imagination
0: i have no idea
1: something to consider but anyway um she eventually goes to find him as but this takes long enough for her to realize that lily is missing Starts sh- like getting really really upset about it as you would calls brad eventually brad comes home and finds her upstairs mm. takes her back down and at that point joshua has put lily back in her crib to kind of create the illusion that she's hallucinated this entire thing like i say i think that i think that this entire sequence end to end takes maybe eight eight and a half minutes right You feel every second of that, I think.
0: But it's pretty uncomfortable.
1: Yes. um, It's really horrendous. This is escalating Like this is escalated pretty dramatically at this point. Everyone is doing fairly poorly. Uh, Brad goes to see. Uh, Brad goes to see Ned at this point, who once again oversimplifies dramatically, being like, "Oh, sh- uh, like Abby will be fine in time. Everything will be cool." Brad, less sure, takes two weeks off work to uh, come and attend to his family. <laughs> Much um,
0: meeting between uh, Brad and Ned. It's not just he hasn't just like went to meet him. They're sitting on a bench outside of the institution that Abby is now in.
1: Yes, sorry, that is probably an oversimplification of <laughs> my part, you're correct.
0: Yeah, they've not just met in the park for an informal chat, like, this is, like... Because he, he said something like, uh, Oh, sorry for not getting in, I just can't handle the smell of places like that. It, he's such a
1: dick, isn't he? Yeah.
0: I mean, that's his fucking sister,
1: man. I know, horrendous. When he... When Brad gets home from this, uh, from this encounter... There's a note left to him from Joshua in his weirdly neat handwriting, because of course he has weirdly neat handwriting, where um, he says that he, Hazel, and Lily have gone to, uh, I think it's like the Brooklyn Museum of Art or something. Did you notice anything weird about this
0: note? Uh, well, I wrote it down. Um, I wrote the entire note down. Uh, oh, I'm, did you? I'm Amazing! Talk about this. So the yes, note please. reads, Dad, eaten lunch already and gone to the Brooklyn Museum of Art having fun with Nunu and Lily. Now, if you take the first letter from each of those five lines, it spells DEATH, <laughs> which is an incredibly on-the-nose thing for him to have done. Like, could why, why didn't he keep that fucking note?
1: Just like, oh, yeah, if you read the first letter of every row from top to bottom, it reads, I'm going to kill Nunu. <laughs> Because that is what's about to happen. Well, before that, like, Brad takes it upon
0: himself to kind of watch some more of these home videos, which were all shot by, uh, like, any that have, like, the family unit in it were actually shot by Sam Rockwell, apparently. He watches the video that we see getting shot, like, earlier on. It's, like, Lily's first day home or something like that. And then it cuts to this weird night vision camera of the dog and then creeping in to watch the parents sleeping and then getting right up into the face of that baby, like, really close into the face of that baby.
1: Yeah, I like, I like until I, I, I the baby
0: starts crying. Yeah, so Brad realises that a lot of, kind of, Lily's distress and the reason that she's been crying so much is because this little fucker's been sneaking in and kind of agitating her in the night.
1: Yes. Uh, so he heads off to the Brooklyn Museum of Art fearing the worst. Fear. Queer, Where, uh, wherein... Joshua has been freaking out Hazel by talking about Seth, the Egyptian god of chaos.
0: Yeah, and uh, Apep, apparently a big snake, who eats his own screams.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's right. It's funny, though, at this point, when he's obviously trying to freak her out, and then she's like, and then Moses came along, and all that madness stopped, and then you can almost see Joshua realising that he has to play into the Christian thing, being like, ah, fuck, and he's like, yeah. But, yeah, Brad's kind of like, Brad's hunch is uh, is, is is pretty well-founded, he gets there just as uh, Joshua appears to be about to push a pram down, uh, or the pram with Lily in it, down the very large flight of stairs at the Brooklyn mm. Museum of Art. I firmly um, believe
0: that was his plan. Um, had everyone not kind of arrived on the scene at the same time?
1: Yes, I think that I think that he. Uh, that what eventually happens? Obviously, they intervene, and then he discreetly, when no one's looking, uh, pushes hazel down the stairs and kills her instead i do believe that that is an improvisation i I agree i think that the original the original plan would have been to kill lily
0: yeah Mm -hmm. sure
1: so uh smash cut to after the funeral where everyone says this is a terrible accident and brad is convinced correctly that joshua is a murderer
0: yeah and he kind of relays his fears to ned who doesn't really believe him
1: i was gonna say which goes about as well as you might expect
0: (laughs) but then there's a weird moment where um where Joshua comes over and whispers something to Ned, and then Ned looks up suspiciously at Brad. What do we, what do we think's going on there?
1: Well, in the next chronology hop, which is about to, which is about to happen to the seventy-one day mark, we start to get this very, um, this strong strand where this theory is emerging that uh, Brad is, uh kind of like is beating Joshua.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you and think I'm wondering in that moment then he's perhaps telling Ned that his dad's. Being abusive, too.
1: It's maybe... It's about the only thing that I can think of that's, like, a credible explanation for that moment. Right, okay. Because, yeah, we had to uh, the 71-day mark at this point. Brad is... like, I, I love the fact that, like, you-, you know, every time we get a chronology hop in this film... It's like that bit in 500 Days of Summer where the elevator doors close on Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt looking really cool and like really happy. And then they open again after a chronology hop and he looks like shit. I feel like that happens every single time we get a chronology hop. Sam Rockwell just looks worse and worse. Yeah. Um, but he's actively distancing himself from Joshua to the point that he's put a lock on his bedroom door and just shuts it and locks it without really addressing why that's happened. Yeah. I um, mean, what
0: he, he is abusing his son, uh, I suppose,
1: in a way. Yeah, emotionally, that's fair, actually. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it's kind of self-preservation for both himself and Lily. Well, he's incredibly uh,
0: paranoid because he believes that his son... I mean, he believes strongly that his son is a, is a murderer. Uh, to the point that he is paranoid about feeding Lily her formula. He chains up all the cabinets
1: yeah this uh i actually think that like um this this part is like i mean like there's 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 not a great amount to laugh at really um, oh, no. uh from, from here on out because it gets because it gets really incredibly harrowing but i think that like the actual the way that it um the way that it handles brad's paranoia i think is really quite good like so like him um, because you're talking about the chained up cabinets and all that kind of thing but also i think there's this shot that's maybe like 40 seconds to a minute around this time where it's just uh him kind of like washing dishes in the sink. There's a huge pile of dishes and it's all the chained up cabinets and stuff mm-hmm. with the kid crying in the background. It's just like, Jesus Christ, this is so miserable. Like, it's just kind of relentless. And around about this point, uh, he also brings uh, Brad, introduces a child psychologist into the mix uh, who looks at Joshua's drawings of stacks of dead bodies and um, starts positing this kind of like, this, this, this physical abuse kind of line. Brad obviously being so incredibly vocally kind of, opposed to that, makes him look really suspicious.
0: Yeah, also, I mean, red flags right away for the child psychologist when she walks into that house and all the fucking cupboards are chained up.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I think, like, yeah, she'll have known from the the minute she stepped in there that something was off. Brad decides to try and solve this by shipping Joshua off to boarding school, which actually, I think, under the circumstances, is not a bad solution.
0: That kid would be home in a fucking week, man.
1: Yeah, he was about to military school instead. Yeah. Yeah, Joshua hears this, and it's at this point that he kind of like worms his way back into the good graces of Brad a little bit, or kind of like kind of uh, the kind of ice between them melts a little bit, because Joshua does have this, uh, this big unexplained bruise on his back.
0: Yeah, right away I was like, it's fucking Ned, it's got to be.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that we ever actually learned where that came from.
0: Uh, you've got to believe he's done it to himself, I think.
1: Yeah, that's my, that's my assumption as well. But this kind of completes the... Because uh, obviously, like at this point, Abby's out with the picture. And this completes the transition of the gaslighting from one parent to the other, I think.
0: Yeah, because um, like when they're kind of making up, like he's kind of consoling his upset son, they kind of fall asleep together. And when Brad wakes up, Joshua's gone and Lily's gone. So Brad's running around like a crazy person trying to find these kids, because he now believes that his baby daughter is in the hands of his potentially psychotic son
1: yeah absolutely and i think that like because we're really we're we're pulling into the kind of uh the crescendo of all this tension and all this kind of conniving stuff that joshua has been doing and all this kind of manipulating and things because in the morning he wakes uh brad wakes up and he finds joshua like feeding lily from a bottle which i think in like 99 percent of circumstances would be kind of like very very cute but in this in this one is obviously like because my my head immediately went to much worse than what actually happened, or, like, like, because I was like, I was like, he's poisoned that kid. Sure. Mm -hmm. Which he hasn't. Um, It's all kind of part of this kind of, like, this cultivating this illusion that everything's basically fine. They head out together, the three of them, um, and at this point, well, he's kind of, he's stolen, he's stolen Lily's kind of pacifier or dummy, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on.
0: Binky, in this case.
1: Yeah, I hate that word. Um, So, yeah, obviously, once again, Lily is crying. I think at this point... um, you know, uh, the other week on the Minisode, when we were talking about Psycho Gorman. Sure, yes. And I was saying that I understand that the character of Mimi, the character that I don't like in that film, is obviously designed to be irritating to the characters, and it crosses a line where that like, becomes irritating to me, and that's where I feel like diminishing returns start to happen.
0: Yes, but the thing to remember, Mimi is supposed to be one of our protagonists in Psycho Gorman, whereas Joshua
1: is way, way the antagonist agreed i was actually thinking more about the uh the constant crying oh right okay thing when i was when i was kind of like jesus christ that's really nipping at me i'm not in the kind of like i'm inside his head kind of thing but yeah oh my god like joshua in this point i've i've seen kids do this in public to their parents before mm. what he does here so joshua obviously he take he takes off running climbs up on top of a statue and when brad's trying to talk him down he does that thing where he imitates everything he says in the exact same tone and cadence
0: it's not even the exact same tone and cadence it's always slightly more mocking it's like Fair. come down from there then you go hey come down from there
1: you know oh yeah. <laughs> you little fucker <laughs> hey you I- little fucker hey. <laughs> <laughs> This this escalates pretty rapidly again I think that because obviously this this culminates in, a, in Brad hitting Joshua and at this point it's obviously game over yeah but-
0: he, he gives him a good slap here and then Joshua's like oh no one's ever going to love you so then he just starts slapping the shit out of the kid in public and then people run over to try and intervene and Brad's slapping the shit out of them.
1: The, the, the look on Joshua's face when this works, like, I'm just like, oh my God, you little fucking arsehole. <laughs> um, I, know, like, I I think it's, like it's, it's it's probably one of the more effective cinematic little shit moments that I can think of, actually. Uh, yeah, but-
0: he's a, he, this is his awful little bastard moment.
1: Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Absolutely, it's 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 the it's the grand unveiling. So Brad, we assume, goes to jail, but um before this, like Chester comes to bail him out in a in a rare moment of uh of uh, kindness, I guess. Or I, altruism. I don't think
0: this was necessary, to be honest. This bit.
1: Uh, what well, when um? Well, it's weird because like Chester comes in, and for one thing, he says that really weird line where he's like, "When uh, Brad's like, oh." when am I getting bailed It's like not till Monday don't you know never beat up your kid in public on the weekend it's like it also wouldn't be fine on a Tuesday but like he comes in as if he's his lawyer like yeah
0: and your boss wouldn't just be allowed in to see you in the police station
1: surely but he just comes in and basically like he I think that like yeah this is kind of like an almost direct into camera explanation uh, of things that we already know sure <laughs> when Chester's like oh things don't look good for you because you know like oh this happened in public and he's got a big bruise on him and oh this and, and this child psychologist is like yeah we can piece this together on our own we don't need like cp flashbacks of this you know
0: <laughs> thanks Chester. <laughs> no, fuck off
1: yeah exactly like uh yeah fuck off man so yes admittedly this does not look good and the next thing that we see happening is that joshua and lily have uh, almost inevitably been taken into care by uncle ned and yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah we join uh them as they're kind of unpacking and we kind of get the idea that we're kind of at the start of their kind of new life with ned as their kind of de facto dad so ned of course at the start was established that he was also a pianist connected with joshua that way he's like oh we should compose something together so they sit down and start uh and start playing and then joshua starts playing something and i think that for a kind of closing trick for this i think that this is great
0: Well, when he basically admits everything he's done, it's like a clear admission of guilt in song form.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He plays this weird minor key ballad full of weird chord changes and, yeah, basically sings the fact that this has all been a long-form ploy to effectively kind of get rid of his parents and also kind of to end up where he is, to end up with Ned, I think.
0: I didn't, uh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming. I, don't feel like their relationship is established enough that, that rings true to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would have liked to have seen more of them being friendly or something beyond just the fact that they both play piano.
1: I mean, yeah, I was, yeah, you've got a fair point there. To be fair, like, I mean, um, because we really do get that in the opening scene. And that's about it. They don't have a massive amount of interactions after that. Yeah, which,
0: if I'm going to buy into the fact that this has all been a ruse so that Joshua can wind up with his Uncle Ned, then I need to see more of that relationship prior to this moment.
1: It was only on the second watch, actually, it was only on this watch, that I realised that that was kind of part of what he was confessing to. Yeah. Because like on first watch, I just kind of took it to be that he was just saying that he had done all this stuff. It was only on this watch that I realised that that was kind of like the ending up where he was was also kind of like the final phase of the plan.
0: Yeah, because he's like, Um, I'm right where I'm supposed to be or something like that, and then Ned's like, what?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I still I still and I still think it's an effective moment to end it. And then we're out with weirdly the same song being sung in acoustic form over the closing credits by Dave Matthews.
0: Yeah, that's right. What I really like though at the end is um while Joshua was kinda of singing this song, there's like this montage of movers packing boxes and it's just like a whole bunch of this really weird shit like rubber gloves and all this really dark artwork that he's done and his guinea pig which has been kind of opened up and sutured back together and it's pretty effective and pretty chilling but the guys are just packing it away as if it's nothing
1: yeah i think that chilling is a good way to describe the way that this ends and i think that it's also quite cool that it's like it's so comparatively like sparse and understated that it feels like such a reaction to the rest of the film yeah okay which I think is also really quite interesting. But with that, we are out on Joshua. So I am very interested to know what you made of this. Do you
0: know, I thought it was okay. It's not the best Evil Kid film I've ever seen. No, nope. not the worst nope. Evil Kid film I've ever seen. It's got good performances. There's some stuff in it that's quite unsettling. But um, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's worth a worth a peek. I wouldn't I wouldn't get myself whopped up into a lather about it. But it's it's fine.
1: I think that one of the reasons, I for one thing, I'm very glad that you think that. Also, uh, I think that it's just, I'm kind of just surprised that there's not more eyes on this because of the cast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd, uh, prior to you mentioning it to me, I don't think i would ever even heard of it.
1: Um, and it seems like, because I mean, when I first posted about it on the Chud Locker as well, like a couple of people got back in touch and said that they hadn't heard of it and watched it back Um, kind of around that time. So it seems like um, it's kind of skirted under a lot of radars, and that was partially why I chose it. Mm. um because it kind of it does feel like it's underseen yeah um i'm glad there's
0: no supernatural element to it like I've, I've seen enough of that
1: yes i think that it's infinitely stronger for not uh, pulling that thread for sure yeah, yeah I'm, like, I'm very glad that this film is joshua and not the devil's child yes agreed you know but um i would also be really curious to know what you guys think of this one and uh, if you want to get in touch and let us know we'd really love to hear from you facebook and instagram were strong language violent scenes you can tweet us at strong violent pc email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com or of course weigh in on the conversation on our facebook group the chud
0: yep and of course guys we'll be coming back at you soon with more patreon content keep your eyes peeled and on your feeds
1: yep yep got some good stuff cooking for that one however we are back on monday with another minisode
0: and what are we going to be doing on the mini-sode, Mitch?
1: great question andy we will be talking about what we've been watching we will be discussing the possibility of a new side quest for one of us mm, yeah uh we will be taking a look at your feedback if there is any uh please see aforementioned channels and uh, keep that section alive <laughs> um we'll be playing mitch's pictures and we'll be letting you know everything you need to know for next week's episode as well
0: well that sounds absolutely action-packed i can't wait absolutely
1: yes buzzing we will be back on monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chance goodbye bye you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with andy stewart and mitch bain strong language and violent scenes theme by mitch bain production and artwork by andy stewart find us on stitcher itunes spotify google podcasts and Podbean.